research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. I'm joined, as always, by Eric Eggers, a vice president at the Government Accountability Institute and an author. Uh, He's usually seated by my side, but he's not here. Where are you, Eric? I am uh, unfortunately staring out into the uh, San Francisco Bay water. I'm in uh, Northern California. I've got, you know, we get on the road to do research into what we're talking about today because I am in the electric vehicle capital of the world. You are. And I felt like I, I felt like I needed to be here today for us to talk about the dirty business of clean energy. Oh. I love that. Great, great introduction to our theme today. And this is often something that people overlook, which is when a new idea comes along, it can be an attractive idea, a good idea like clean energy. People never want to talk about the dirty side of that business. And it reminds me of the old saying from uh, Thomas Sowell, the economist who I consider as sort of a mentor of mine. Thomas Sowell said, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. And we're going to talk about those environmental trade-offs today. Uh, a lot of people have discussed, Eric, uh, the problems that fossil fuels present for the environment. But today we're going to talk about the environmental challenges that come with electric vehicles in ways that a lot of people don't imagine. Yeah, I was actually quite surprised to learn a lot of this in the research for this podcast. I saw, I saw an article about how there were protests in Serbia over a proposed new mine that would provide Europe electric vehicle batteries like a million a year. And they said it's the biggest protest they've had in Serbia since uh, Milosevic was toppled, right? I mean, so this is the level that this new mine in the farmlands of Serbia was uh, proposing. And it turns out they're not alone. You've seen uh, protests and elections being shaped by you know, discussions about mining interests in Peru, Chile, Ecuador, Greenland. So like, this is a major topic. And it's funny because I think we're like the end user, right? We're like, oh, we'll just get a Tesla. It's going to be great. Right. <laughs> but everyone else or in the rest of the world is like, no, not okay. Um, I mean, the World Bank, just to show you like this big push, the World Bank has said that by 2050, we're going to need three and a half billion tons of metal. Basically, like every piece of metal that's made today, we will need that much just for electric vehicles 30 years from now if we continue that push. And the way we extract it, as you know, uh, it's not exactly clean. That's right. And, you know, it's funny when people think about buying products, they don't always associate everything that goes into producing that product. So with electric vehicles, okay, people are familiar with Elon Musk. He builds these cars. uh, You know, here's what the Tesla looks like. They get the idea. Okay, I've got to plug this thing in. But they don't think about what goes into those batteries. They don't think about how this thing is actually powered. And what we're seeing is that this transformative move that's being made, that's attempting to be made from fossil fuels to electric vehicles, has these huge ramifications. And one of those areas you touched on is the area of mining. The fact that these batteries need massive amounts of, in some cases, pretty rare minerals 
that are hard to get your hands on. So Serbia, what are we talking about in terms of Serbia? Uh, this is something that is going to be lithium, right? Uh, Rio Tinto, the big uh, uh, you know, firm is going to produce it, but there are problems associated with it. And they talked about it in Serbia, Peru and Ecuador, as you mentioned, Chile, they've all had elections where these mining uh, cases tied to green energy are a big factor. So what are some of the environmental problems we're talking about when it comes to mining? The obvious one, of course, is they're bigging dig holes and mountains. What are some of the other ones, Eric, when, it, when we're talking about these EV batteries? Yeah, they just leave the land completely stripped. Uh, there's been reports out of uh, South America where you've got like waters and lands that got this like blue hue. People yep. think entire villages have been uh, contaminated because the water source that's connected or near mining interests. I mean, it's it's not good for the area period. I mean, think about this. Uh, juxtapose, we did this podcast on how the federal government had grown in terms of its size and scope and the military and the weapons. And we shared the story from about a decade ago of EPA agents, 17 EPA agents raiding a small town. Excuse me, I think it was eight EPA agents raiding a small town that only had a population of 17. And they were over an alleged violation of the Clean Water Act. Um, You've got a proposed lithium mine that's being, they want to put on federal lands that actually partly belong to Native Americans uh, in Nevada. And, you know, the Biden administration is okay with it. Meanwhile, they said, hey, no, we're going to ban any oil or natural gas extraction from federal lands, right? So it's like we say one thing's fine, the other is not uh, at the expense of people that still want to drive vehicles like with gas. But no, it's it's quite bad. Um, and the Biden administration is kind of selling out for this. You know, remember back in the spring when we had the supply chain issues? Uh, they the Biden made an executive order to, to protect lithium, cobalt, and other minerals. And like the mining industry is like, yes, absolutely. It just shows you how important it is. But he did that specifically so these car companies could continue to make electric vehicle batteries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you think of mining, you think, as you said, of of sort of stripping the land. And look, we all acknowledge we need mining, right? Metals that we use uh, in products, in cars, in our homes, uh, they all need to be mined. They need to come from somewhere. But when you move in this direction of EV, you're talking about a different mining approach when it comes to lithium and some of these other hard, hard to find uh, minerals. And here's the problem. People don't realize the mining process requires, in some cases, billions with a B, billions of gallons of clean drinking water that they have to use to sort of blast through this rock structure. Uh, And that's part of the resource problem that exists here. So this is an example of what we're talking about when we mention the dirty business of clean energy, because now you've got, in some cases, perfectly good drinking water that is no longer drinkable. You talked about the the, the, <laughs> the color of the water changing uh, in, in some of these cases. This is something, again, that's never mentioned by Biden. It's never mentioned by the green energy advocates. And when you contrast, I would argue, mining for some of this stuff like lithium with extracting oil from below the Earth's crust, I think the extracting the oil is far more environmentally safe than this mining that they're talking about. Well, you're, fa- you're failing to keep in mind one thing, Peter, and that's What's that, that? The, people, the people that drive cars with electric vehicles, uh, they drink bottled water anyway. So what do they care about the water supply? <laughs> they get it from Fiji, right? <laughs> and there's no mining in Fiji, right? <laughs> and, oh, oh, by the way, you know what else is associated with uh, mining interests? Um, 
like human rights violations, right? Yes. I mean, it's, this is not like a, it's not a union shop where, yeah. where people show up and they got full <laughs> benefits. I mean, the types of labor, I mean, think about the places in which a lot of these minerals come from, right. they're coming from Congo, they're coming from uh, Africa. I mean, China's actually had a plan for this for some time. And we'll talk about how China's actually kind of behind in many ways, the push for this. But China has for the last decade plus been going to Africa and essentially trying to provide them some form of social infrastructure so they could get access to the natural resources. And now you sort of understand why. But I just think it's interesting because we think in America, hey, yeah, electric vehicle. You raised, I think, an excellent point a couple weeks ago, and then we saw it play out. I mean, if you drive an electric vehicle in Florida and you had to evacuate because of the hurricane, which, by the way, did come through and cause seismic damage in South Florida, A, you had to, you know, you could only go 200 miles, right, because of the stop for the change the charging station right and b we've actually seen reports now that because of the flooding that's occurred some of the cars with electric batteries they actually exploded or caught on fire because yeah. the batteries got wet and then you know they uh cause even more problems so it just showed like you have to wonder like why are we continuing to pursue a thing and then oh by the way to charge the battery requires actual electricity which comes from natural gas so in what planet does this make sense other than the fact that's a big beneficiary a big benefit to the mining companies right no you're you're precisely right and big benefit to a lot of dictators around the world because as you pointed out has long been the case uh it's just the way it's kind of worked out a lot of the countries that have the the most mineral assets in these areas tend to be very repressive countries like Zaire, like uh, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, under leaders like Mobutu, who were horribly corrupt, horribly abusive to their people, uh, and they have these mines. And what happens is these mining companies have to go in and cut deals with these terrible people. So, you know, when when people got upset because uh, Saudi Arabia uh, was apparently involved in this killing of this Washington Post journalist, which is terrible, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet uh, because you're going to be replacing petroleum products with these minerals from regimes that are even more oppressive than Saudi Arabia's. So that's another side of this dirty uh, business uh, of green, green energy. You've got the mining aspect of it. You've got the political aspect of it. Of course, you've got the... the uh, <laughs> the uh, cars that are that are uh, catching fire in Florida, but you've also got the political corruption side of this, Eric. This is something we've reported on over the course of decades because this is a very uh, a politically sensitive industry. This ropes in a lot of political corruption in the United States as well. Well, it absolutely does, and actually, I think one of the reasons why this kind of pinged on our radar is when we saw the Rio Tinto mine and the, them being protested in Serbia, it just reminded me of the types of mines that actually were having to, um, you know, in South America that the Clintons were involved in. I mean, right. and you talk about, I mean, you've talked for the last decade, like what's the biggest trend we've seen in terms of the shift in political corruption. And you use the phrase, and I think it's very smart to do it, offshoring political corruption. And the Clintons have been ahead of the game on everybody. And it just reminded me, I mean, in Clinton Cash, you wrote Clinton Cash, half of the people in that book are mining interests, right? <laughs> right I mean, right. it's true. And right. then you think about the fact that like, so John Podesta was running Hillary's campaign. John Podesta was a longtime Clinton aide. He set up this Center for American Progress, which advocates among other things, what? Green energy policies, right? And now he's in the Biden White House. You've got 
through the Clintons, his association with these mining interests. And now through the Biden, he's advocating for policies that benefit those mining interests. And it's kind of crazy because I don't think anybody thinks about that side of it. You're right. They don't think about it. And, you know, let's be clear. uh, uh, The record's um, absolutely there as it relates to the Clintons and these mining companies. Uh, You know, Bill Clinton, while his wife was secretary of state, would go around uh, seeking donations from miners. He got more than $100 million from a a group of Canadian miners uh, that he helped secure a deal for uranium mines in Kazakhstan and the United States. That was the uh, Uranium One deal. He was also, though, involved with mining companies in South America. And what these mining companies need is they need political support because, again, they're mining oftentimes in you know Kazakhstan or parts of Africa or Latin America that are highly corrupt. The minerals are not actually controlled by people. They're controlled by the governments. So that means there's a lot of money at stake. And so what these mining companies want is they want political cover from Western politicians. In the case of the Clintons, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton will, will, will give money to the charity that is in her and her husband's name. Uh, we've even seen this more recently with Hunter Biden, the name that, that never seems to go away from the headlines. Hunter Biden, of course, in, involved with this Chinese private equity firm. They took a stake in a uh, mining uh, company. Uh, that was operating in Africa that was created, that was uh, producing cobalt and other critical minerals that have military application. Those are mines that American companies were competing against Chinese companies to try to get access to. And the Chinese ended up winning. So that's the other thing that we have to think about. You know, Thomas Sowell's statement, Eric, that there's no solutions. There's only trade offs. The trade off here is the term big oil gets you know, tossed around all the time in Washington, D.C. What does big oil stand for? You have to think what big EV stands for, big EV, including mining companies, because they are now going to toss around a lot of money. They've done it for years to get favorable treatment and to get these alliances that are going to help them, you know, secure these mines in these really sketchy parts of the world. This is a trade-off and an element to electric vehicles that nobody's really talking about. And it's not just stuff happening in a far-off land. It's going to affect our political leaders in this country as well. Well, because it's happening in the United States. I was shocked by some of the things. And you talk about Hunter Biden and his business relationships with China. That's another name that never seems too far off of the lips of the people that show up on this podcast. And unfortunately, you know, we're going to have to talk about China in this episode, too, for a couple of different reasons. That um, that mine that I told you the Native Americans were protesting on. By the way, I just want to take a pause and acknowledge your versatility. You'll talk about the hundreds <laughs> of, you know, billions of gallons of drinking water get contaminated. You'll drop the name of African warlords. You know, I mean, that's, that's not everybody can do that. You know, hey, you should, you should be the great one in research. California. We got a great research team. And no, I'm not going to run California because I think the warlords in California might be worse than they are in the Democratic Republic of Congo. But that's another well, story. Well, here's what's crazy. The people in California are doing business with some of these warlords, right? <laughs> they are. But that mine, that mine in Nevada, it's called Lithium Americas. And you say, oh, Lithium Americas. It's a lithium mine in Nevada. Of course, it's going to be an American, American mine. Yeah. No, it's not. It's a Canadian company. And it's a Canadian company that owns the mine. And the largest shareholder is actually a Chinese company. Ah. So you got a Chinese company that's the largest shareholder of a Canadian company who's mining U.S. minerals in Nevada and ironically then potentially contaminating the water of Native Americans. So, you know, everyone loses, I guess. Yeah. But, um, but, but China is poised to win 
in some other ways too. This was crazy. So in 2019, California and China, so California, the People's Republic of California, uh, started something called the China California Climate Institute. What do you think that's about? <laughs> I don't know, but I think I know where this is going. When you got China and California as part of the same institute, this 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 is not heading headed in a good direction. Like if you're kind of a trigger happy conservative listening to this podcast, you might want to pull over because we've already said things that are raising your blood pressure. We said California, we said China, we said climate, and you're like, oh my god, I don't know where it's going. Yeah, uh, and, and by the way, who's running this? Who's running this this institute? Do you recall? Actually, I think boy, it's Governor. It's Governor Moonbeam, man. Yeah, it's Jerry Brown. It's Jerry Brown. It's Jerry Brown. So he covers all three of the aspects. So tell me, what is this China California Climate Institute pushing now? By the way, can we just also say, like, how come every cutting edge, like, innovative, you know, evolving technology is run by an old white guy, right? Like John Podesta, <laughs> he's in charge of like the green energy stuff. Jerry Brown, we can't find anybody below the age of eighty to be in charge of this thing. Yeah, well, Podesta, I think, is only seventy-two. I don't think he's quite eighty. But <laughs> you're right about Jerry Brown. I mean, let's charge into the future with eighty-year-old Jerry Brown. Are we recruiting off of the senior tour or at Denny's? You know, like yeah, what are yeah. we doing for this? Well, thing? and here's the other thing is like none of these guys are engineers. None of these right. guys are energy. But they're politicians. They're political right. hacks. And they're running these entities. No, it's exactly right. So this thing is it's a partnership between uh, the University of California system and, you know, the state of California and then the Chinese government. And the job is to provide policy guidance at multiple levels of government for creating green policies. I bet. Now, uh, so you may recall that, um, you know, Governor Newsom has issued a mandate that says all cars sold after 2035 have to become electric vehicles, right? Right. Which is insane. Right. The good news is I think it's only going to drive up the value of homes in Florida where we live because everyone's going to move to where we are. Well, here's, but, uh, by, the way, by the way, here's the other thing. I mean, not to get too far afield here, but I'm imagining if this is implemented, <laughs> aren't there going to be people setting up just massive dealerships on like the California, Arizona border? I mean, the idea that you cannot buy a, a, a gas powered car in California, people are just going to go to Oregon and, and, you know, other states to buy them. It's just stupid. No, they'll buy their cars in Nevada and they'll buy their water in California because the water in Nevada has been all polluted by the mine. So, <laughs> but, but, but what, they, what they did, so Cal, Gavin Newsom says, hey, you know, no more gas powered vehicles after 2035. Well, a month before that, the California Climate uh, Initiative put out a working paper saying we should, we want to expand the electric vehicle market in California and China and accelerate the transition from fuel powered cars to electric cars. So basically like, this institute issues this paper, and then a month later, Gavin Newsom basically turns that position into policy. Um, and Interesting. So, so this this institute has real influence. Then it sounds like oh, it absolutely has real in influence. Um, you know, and what's crazy too is companies like California, uh, you know, cities like Los Angeles have been committing to like eighty percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. Um, you know, China not only has said we're not going to do anything, but we will <laughs> peak emissions over the next decade. Right. They also now have a manufacturing facility in North America for electric vehicles. They, China has opened up an electric vehicle battery manufacturing plant in Lancaster, California. So if you're paying attention, China now has a lithium mine or has a stake in a lithium mine in Nevada and is soon to have an electric battery manufacturing plant in California. 
And this is an area that we already know is dominated by China, right? 70 to 80% of all the green energy technology we use in the United States, whether you're talking about solar panels, whether you're talking about, you know, turbines for windmills, whether you're talking about electric vehicles, already about 80% of this stuff comes from China. So, you know, now they're quote unquote, producing some of it in the United States, uh, but that's even owned by China as well. So it's it's a level of dominance and it's a level of dependence uh, that's another component of this dirty side of this clean energy business uh, that people just don't want to look at. We're replacing OPEC from the 1970s with a new OPEC, which is Red China today. Well, it's funny that you say that the idea of like people will go to Nevada and Arizona. It is interesting to think, yeah, like China will be the new Saudi Arabia and it's going to shift the landscape. Like it, now all of a sudden people might live in places because the political policies are more appealing to them. And, you know, it used to be, hey, tax bracket, but now it's going to be stuff like, I mean, if they've banned sale of fuel powered cars after 2035, how long will it be until like gas stations become regulated or outlawed, right? I mean, eventually right. they're going to sort of try to, because, hey, we've invested in the infrastructure of this. It, it's crazy to think over the next decade, two decades, how dramatically just aspects of the American life could shift because of that. Yeah, it, it could shift dramatically. Now, for those in the audience who are sitting there thinking like, well, you know, so what? China's doing this. I don't care. It's not costing me anything. Well, think again. This company, Lithium Americas, we've been talking about that is actually not an American company. It's a Canadian company whose largest shareholder is Chinese. They announced earlier this year that they are submitting a formal loan application to the U.S. Department of Energy uh, to get a taxpayer-backed loan for this facility. Um, and they're expecting that to cover the majority of the capital costs for them developing this mine. So guess what? They are asking the American taxpayer to build a Chinese-owned mine in Nevada uh, it's outrageous. And it's the sort of thing that nobody wants to talk about when it comes to this dirty business of clean energy. No, I know. So, it, I mean, if nothing else, right? I think we, we continue to, I mean, I drive a diesel vehicle, so I unapologetically uh, have uh, a diesel, embrace. a diesel BMW, by the way, I will say for our audience, just to make clear that your working class roots aren't quite as established as you claim. Hey, if we're going to class shame, <laughs> then let's just make it real clear why I'm in California. <laughs> Is because when they somebody said, "Hey, does anyone want to come talk about the drill down podcast?" Uh, I was the one that was a more affordable and b more desperate. So, <laughs> and by the way, you do you do the whole flight thing and the whole getting up and time change thing much much better than I do. Um, but um, yeah, no, I'm glad that you're there, and you need to give us when when you return from your trip, you need to give us the rundown of what you experienced. So, to a certain extent, I feel like this is a little bit like East Germany. I don't know how much you should say what your right. experience is in California until you've left California. And you've already kind of been critical of the government already, so we need to be a little bit uh, a, a little bit cautious here. Well, I would just say it's it is a cruel irony, but a fun one because you know for as much as we talk about California is the electric vehicle capital of the world, yep. uh, the last two times I've been here, I have gotten the same rental car, which is a Dodge Charger. <laughs> 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 like San Francisco is lousy with American muscle car rentals, you know? Yeah. And so it's just because everyone, I don't know why it is, but it's like nobody wants them. So this is what they give the people that have to come out here for work. But it is funny. So if you see a Dodge Charger, 
it's probably a tourist. <laughs> That's right. And it'll be an electric one in a few years, probably, which will be enormously yeah. frustrating. California is a beautiful state, lots of things to see, but with a range of 250 miles, man, you are, you are definitely limited. So the dirty side of this business, we've talked about the mining aspect. We've talked about the political corruption, the fact that it's, uh, uh, you know, you're you're basically going into league with human rights violators. What what then do you think is the solution? Is the solution for us to just say we're not going to do this? Is it to say we should proceed cautiously? It seems to me like the, the 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 issue is we're just too enthusiastic about this. I have no problem with electric vehicles, but the idea that we're going to force everybody to go in this direction and we're going to kind of try to jumpstart this industry is is the inherent problem here in, in in a way that people are overlooking. Well, as you've noted, every time we try to jumpstart an industry that, you know, the technology is not quite ready for, China ends up being the big winner. And I think to me, yeah. that's my concern is when you is if you accept the premise that we've established, which is that big business and big government are business partners, then of course, like the big businesses will benefit from the big government's push. And just as an example of that is the last closing point for me you've got companies like uh, Tesla and um, GM that are big winners from the climate, the green energy legislation, because the incentives for those types of vehicles is in there. But startups like Rivian, which I think is owned by Amazon, right? You wonder why Jeff Bezos seemed to have gotten red pilled a little <laughs> while ago. It might be because right. his car company like didn't get, they didn't qualify for any of these incentives because they were too expensive. So it's just like, hey, like, why are we picking winners and losers? We should just say, hey, this, you know, here's some incentives. If you want to be in the business of this, have at it. And I think it becomes limited and it just becomes uh, rife for political favoritism and corruption uh, at ultimately the expense of not only the American taxpayer, but the consumer, right? Because then your options are limited. Yeah, your options are limited. And it is having a very real effect on American politics and the conversation here today. Because let's remember something that Elon Musk is singing the praises now of the Chinese Communist Party. And why is that? Is Elon Musk suddenly a communist? No, he's not. But Elon Musk gets his bread buttered in China. They built him that massive factory. That's where most of the Tesla cars are going to be produced. Uh, they did a great job. They gave him very powerful incentives. He knows the future of his company is with China. So he is now singing the praises of China uh, at the expense of the United States. And this is only going to get worse and worse and worse. So Let's remember the words of Thomas Sowell. There are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. And in my mind, the trade-offs when it comes to electric vehicles are far worse than the problems that we have with fossil fuels. The technology is going to improve. It's going to get better. We may overcome some of them. But as it stands right now, it's a terrible gamble for us to be making. And Joe Biden is making that gamble with the American people. Well, thank you for joining us again for another podcast of The Drill Down. As always, we'd love to hear your comments. You can find our podcasts at thedrilldown.com or wherever fine podcasts can be found. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>